This is the Tanakh Podcast with Alex Israel. Today, Sefer Micha, Chapter 6, Perek Vav. And our learning is dedicated to Chayalei Tzva Haganali Israel our wonderful soldiers, for their safety and for their success, for the swift return of all of the hostages and for the healing of all the wounded in this war in Gaza. Chapter 6 Higid l'cha adam matov umma Hashem toresh b'mcha God has told you what is good and what he seeks of you. Ki masot mishpat Perform justice, ahavat chesed, love kindness, v'atznea lechet im elokecha and walk humbly with God. If there are uh, certain psukim which qualify for the greatest hits of Tanakh, then this pasuk, I think, would certainly be one of them. You know, the rabbi said so. In the end of the Gemara in Makot, they try and distill mitzvot, the 630 mitzvot, to 13 mitzvot, to 11. What are the essentials? And they suggest that there are really three essentials of Judaism which are represented by this verse. Number one, do justice. Number two, be kind. Number three, um, walk humbly, modestly with God. So let's try and get into our chapter and understand how this all fits together. Our chapter begins with the prophet telling us that God has a riv, a quarrel, a, a, a contention with B'nai Israel. Go argue with the with the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Shimu harimet riv Hashem va'etanim moste aretz. Listen, O hills, the argument of God, um, and the foundations of the world uh, of the world. Hear this. Ki riv What's the idea of the hills and the valleys, the hills and the the mountains uh, here? Some people argue that it's like God is appealing to nature as a witness. Rashi tells us, according to the Targum, that he's actually appealing to the Harim, the great mountains and the Gvaot, the Avot and the Imahot. Others say that his contention here is not with Jewish history, with the Avot and Imahot, but rather with the hills and mountains of society, with the aristocracy, with the leadership with the kings and, and who else. But let's see what he says. What have I done to you? And I've brought you here. Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you from slavery. And I have sent before you Moshe Aaron Miriam. God seems to be saying, look what I did for you. I created you as a nation. I brought you out of Egypt. I gave you leadership. Moshe Aharon Umiriam. I have to say that when I look at this, this is, I think, one of the only times in Tanakh when we see this sort of triad of Moshe, Aharon, and Miriam. Usually it's Moshe and Aharon, Moshe v'Aharon b'cho'anav. And I love this idea that Miriam, when the Midrash talks about this, the Midrash says... <clears throat> that Moshe was there in order to communicate with God and Aharon is the Kohen Gadol and that Miriam was there to teach the women. And, you know, there's a big discussion in the 
orthodox world about women's leadership, women rabbis, or what have you. This, to me, shows me that, uh, you know, men need certain leadership and sometimes leadership by men. And uh, we also need women's leadership. Miriam, Miriam was there, at least for the women. Maybe sometimes also a teacher, a female teacher can be beneficial for men. So he says, look what I did for you. I took you out of Egypt. I gave you spiritual guidance. And then he says, Ami, my people. I love the way he keeps on referring to us as my people. God's referring to us kindly, intimately. Remember what Balak, the king of Moab, wanted to do to you. And what Bilam answered him all the way from Shittim to the Gilgal, Loman Kot Hashem. Here, the prophet is reminding us of the story of Bilam, of the story of Balak, the Moabite king who hired Bilam, the sorcerer, the wizard, the prophet, in order to curse us. And what's he reminding us of? Again, according to Rashi, Rashi says he's reminding us of the Pasuk, Ma Ezom Lozamel. Right? Why are you angry, Bilam? God is not angry. In other words, God loves the Jewish people. He took us out of Egypt. Even when foreigners tried to curse us, he wouldn't even allow there to be a curse. Right? Ibn Ezra says, look, you know, I wouldn't even let anybody say anything bad about you. Um, Rabbi Yosef Kara goes in a different direction. And he says, um, remember Bilam and Balak? Bilam and Balak, Balak offered Bilam all the money. And uh, Bilam, you know, said, even if you give me a house full of gold, I can't curse to say anything different than God says. He says, it's not always about the money. Well, we'll come to that in a second. So, and now the prophet turns around and, and he says, You know how much God loves you, how much God has done for you. And now he says, by what can I come before God? How can I bow myself? How can I accept the authority of the God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Does God want thousands of animal sacrifices? Does he want 10,000 rivers of oil? What should I give him my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So what's the argument? What's the argument between God and the Jewish people here? We've already seen what sort of society we have here in the time of Chizkiyahu HaMelech. This is a society who know that there is trouble brewing. They know the Assyrians are coming and they have come to a conclusion that what they need to bring is thousands of offerings. They need to bring rivers of oil. That If they only worship and pray and cry out to God, then, um, then they will be saved. And they see the Assyrians advancing and the Syrians maybe at this point have already destroyed the Northern Kingdom and they're saying, where is God? Where is God? And God says, don't worry. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt. I am the one who even when foreign kings hired prophets in order to curse you, I did away with their curses. 
And in fact, there's something very interesting about that story about Bilam, because if you recall, um, Bilam goes up to the mountains, right? We speak about Riv Eteharim. He goes up to the mountains and he offers all sorts of olot, right? He offers Shiva Parim and he offers all sorts of uh, sacrifices. And he thinks that by bringing sacrifices, he can turn God to his way of thinking, that he can somehow bribe God. And God says here in our chapter, you know, that, that's not what it's about. It's not about the sacrifices. It's not about the money, right? We read about a Jerusalem here, which is into bribery. There's only one thing that God wants, and that's to be true. And possibly it's true to the way of the Avot and the Imahot. And that's where I love Rashi's looking back, backwards, when he says, uh, the Harim of the Avot, the, the Gvaot of the Imahot. What does God really want? If we distill Judaism down, it is mishpat, it is justice, it is being kind. So you have to have honesty and you have to have rules and you have to have law. But sometimes for the vulnerable, the law isn't enough. Therefore, you have to have chesed, and we have to be modest. Now, so often in today's world, modesty is translated into inches of fabric. But we all understand that modesty is a state of being. The question of whether we have to, whether we want to always draw attention to ourselves, we, whether we have to be the center of things, whether we are like Avraham Avinu, a person who is emor ma'atva seharbe, are we able to say little but actually do a lot, do things behind the scenes because they are right, because they are correct, and this is the notion of walking modestly, walking humbly before God. Um, in today's world of social media, uh, we are so full of self-promotion. Um, it's almost as if, if it wasn't on social media, it never happened. But we are encouraged here to be modest and not to necessarily uh, sound our horn about everything we do. And uh, when Chazal come along and say that these are three of the major principles of Judaism, um, I think he's talking to the people in the time of Micha. But I think we can also learn a great deal from this way of thinking. That's it for today. See you tomorrow.